Listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. I'd love to see, we, Steve and I were talking, we'd like to see the bun that accompanied that hot dog. My goodness, that's a lot of hot dog. We are uh, continuing our series called Ecclesia, all about the church. And we, uh, uh, before the Easter season began, we were looking at the mission of the church. We were talking about the, the roles of the, the ministry we have, the people of the church. Now we're going to take a few Sundays to look at the roles of the people in the church. We're going to talk, uh, talk over the next few weeks about uh, what the Bible tells us about the role of deacons, what the Bible tells us about the role of every church member. And today is kind of a unique message. I've never preached a message on this before. It's almost like I'm giving a job description to you this morning of what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the biblical role of the pastor of the church. What does the Bible say about the pastor. What is the pastor supposed to do? And in fact, I believe as Ashley was talking about the post-resurrection appearances, I believe it begins even when we take a look at Jesus talking to Peter as he says, feed my sheep, uh, feed my lambs. I think we see a, a role of the pastor even, th even then. Um, now let me just say, I think there are three areas. This is important that we know because um, as Paul tells us about in his letters that the church is supposed to uh, operate in an orderly fashion. And a lot of times what will happen as we take a look at churches all across the nations, uh, all across the nation, that churches normally fit into one of three categories. The first category is that churches have a healthy understanding about what the biblical pastor is supposed to do. The second one is, is are two unhealthy perspectives. One is kind of a laissez-faire, you know, you know uh, no expectations on the pastor whatsoever, kind of does what he does, and there's no moral integrity held to the, to the position. And obviously, that leads to a dead church, uh, if not uh, by operation, but at least to the, uh, by means of the Holy Spirit, because if God's not blessing a church, all we have is a community club with a cross on top, amen? 
uh, because what we're supposed to be is the church, the church of God, the church of Christ. And then otherwise, and then another unhealthy expectation that's often placed upon the pastor is that we view the pastor as being a superman. You know, that he can un- undo his, uh, his uh, coat and, and see a, a cape underneath it with a big S and he's able to leap over buildings with a single bound or, or run faster than a locomotive or stop a speeding bullet. Well, obviously, that ain't happening, folks. <laughs> You, if you don't believe that, ask my wife. She put me to work yesterday. Uh, we put up uh, some fencing, and I can hardly move this morning. Uh, so, so Superman, I am not. So, But what is the biblical role of the pastor of the church? Well, we're going to take a look at two passages of Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and we're also going to uh, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So let's take a look, first of all, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and we do encourage everyone who can and is able to, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Throughout the scriptures, the pastoral role is given uh, really one of three words. Sometimes it's called a bishop, which means an overseer. Sometimes it's given the word of, uh, of an elder, uh, other times it's called uh, maybe a presbyter or even a pastor. All of these things refer to the same position. We see in chapter 3 that this is a faithful saying. Now Paul is writing this letter from prison to young Timothy. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that is a pastor, he desires a good work. Bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, Able to teach. Teaching is a very important aspect of the pastoral role. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? We're going to talk about the importance of family uh, in a minister's life. And that's a very important part of his life. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnations as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now Peter here is um, talking to the churches in Asia Minor, and he's talking to the pastors or the elders who are there. So this is something he relates to uh, the elders of the church, the pastors of the church. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yet all of you must be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. And Lord, we just simply ask this morning, Lord, this, this is quite a difficult message to bring because I'm in many ways giving a job description for myself. But we ask, Lord, that you would just allow us to speak the words that need to be spoken, hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, and our hearts, that we will apply these words and be better for it. And Lord, there may be someone here today who hears of this, this position, who hears of this calling, and maybe the reason they are here today is because you might be working in their life to do a similar role. So, Lord, we just ask, Lord, number one, if there's anyone here today who knows you not, that they would come to know you before it's eternally too late. But also, if there's someone here, maybe you have the calling upon their life to preach and teach your word. We ask, Lord, that you would give them an open, responsive heart as well. Of course, in Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I had a chance to meet uh, Tom Rayner at a leadership conference not, not uh, too long ago, and I was really impressed by him. And quite honestly, I go to his website a bit at, uh, quite a bit at TomRayner.com, and I found uh, something interesting. Uh, he is the president of Lifeway Christian Bookstores, and he, while pastoring St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, gave a survey to, uh, it was a large church, they had 12 deacons, and he gave a, a survey to the 12 deacons asking the minimal expectations they had for the pastor. And in this survey, he asked, how many hours do you require for things like prayer at the church, sermon preparation, and things of this nature? And what he found astounded him, because here were the results, the minimum expectations of the 12 deacons. One, prayer at the church, they expected 14 hours. Sermon preparation, 18 hours. Outreach and evangelism, 10 hours. Counseling, 10 hours. Hospital and home visits, 15 hours. Administrative functions, 18 hours. Community involvement, 5 hours. Denominational involvement, 5 hours. Church meetings, 5 hours. Worship services and preaching, 4 hours. And other, not sure what the other is, an additional 10 hours. Folks, that comes to 114 hours a week. <laughs> Do you see the problem there? <laughs> 114 hours a week. He goes on to say, if I had met the minimum expectations of the 12 deacons, I would have to work more than 16 hours a day for seven days a week. Or I could take one day off each week and work 19 hours a day for six days a week. And remember, this is only meeting the expectations of 12 individuals. Folks, a lot of times it's important for us to get back to the basics. It's important for us to go back and see what the Bible says that we're to do. Because understand, the pastoral role is a very important role, and it's not a job that I take lightly. But also, we must understand that it is also a role that each and every one of us have. Not everyone's called to be a pastor, I understand that, but understand that each one of us are called to be a minister in his or her own rights. Now understand, I am more than willing to go see anybody at any time, but if God is laying someone on your heart and laying someone on your mind, it may be that God is leading you to go see that person at that particular time because you may have a word for that person that no one else has. 
You see, it's important for us to get back to the basics of what the Bible tells us about these roles. And so in today's passage of Scripture, we're going to look at four, four points, four points as it pertains to the pastoral role. And number one, we must understand that the biblical pastor has a called role. Amen, Grady? You've got to be called to the ministry. Brother Grady has been pastoring for several years. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to give a statistic why this is even more important for us than ever before that we have a biblical understanding because pastors are falling by the wayside left and right. I'm thankful for brothers like Brother Grady here who've been in the ministry for several years faithfully serving the Lord. Understand it's a called position because if you're not called to this task, you're not going to make it. Amen? You're not going to make it. It's not something someone chooses to do. It's something someone is called to do. Paul was not implementing a new position, but describing a position already existent. The desire does not come from within, but comes from without. It comes from the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. And understand this, if you're not called to do this, you will not make it because I can testify to this, that this is one of the most difficult positions I've ever filled. Not only in most other positions that you have, you have maybe physical things going on, you have mental things going on, but when it comes to the pastoral role, you also have spiritual conflict going on. You have spiritual battles going on, and that's why if anything else, I desire your prayers, because anyone can find fault with someone, but it takes a real man or woman of God to pray for someone, amen? And as a pastor, I desire your prayers. Understand, Paul states, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood in Acts 20, 28. He goes on to say, Jesus says in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that wherever you ask, whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give it to you. It's a calling. In fact, I remember whenever I was uh, first called to preach, I spoke with my grandpa. He'd been in, the, in ministry for all of my life, most of his. And I told him, I said, Grandpa, I'm thinking that God may be calling me in the ministry. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. While we were driving home from a funeral that he had preached, he looked at me, he said, Brian... The best advice I can give to you is run. Run as hard as you can. If you can do anything else in your life and not do this job, do it. But if you can't and you have that calling of God and you can't get it off of your heart and you can't get it out of your life and you can't get it out of your mind, then you know that you're truly called to preach because God won't leave you alone. God had to put me in the middle of a thunderstorm in July 2007 to bring me back in the ministry. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I won't do that. And then finally, after putting me in the thunderstorm, I knew uh, at 30 minutes I was in this thunderstorm, lightning popping all around me. I left out of that building. I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, go anywhere so long as they don't handle snakes. Now, I know God has a sense of humor because my first pastorate since then, they found a snake in the basement. Not long after I was here at Huntsville, Francis isn't here today. Man, this just makes it, it's not as good without her here. Uh, they found a snake near her legs not, not a few Sundays after I was here. So I know God has a sense of humor. 
But understand, you may be asking yourself, how do you know that you're called to preach? God will lay something on your heart. I remember in my life, I kept going through the scriptures and I knew that God would even give me messages. If I were to preach, I would say, this would be what I would say. But you see, if God is leading you to do this, He's not going to leave you alone. You can run, but you can't hide. God will stay on you like the hound of heaven, and He will ensure that you do the task. You can run as hard as you can, but you can't hide. There's, there's, there's a reason why we as a church do the process we do. How do we go about this? Well, first of all, a person, they, they have the calling of God on their life, but it's also recognized by the church. I never will forget whenever I was called to preach, before I announced my calling, Nona Brown, uh, the wife of Pastor Clayton Brown, my pastor at Pinnacle View at the time, she looked at me, godly woman she was, she looked at me and she says, God's calling you to preach, Brian. She looked at me, she could see it. I said, no, he's not. She said, yeah, he is. I said, no, no, no uh, I can't do that. But she knew something I didn't know. That's why we do it in a process the way we do it. A person feels the call of God. They'll talk to the pastor, and then they may give him a few trial messages to, to try it out to see if God's really leading him to do this. And then after a time, he'll publicly announce the calling to preach. And after which time, the church will eventually see the calling in his life, and they will license him to the, to the ministry. And then after a while, this will give him the opportunity to participate in baptisms in the Lord's Supper. And then after a while, maybe a church will call him to pastor. And then the church will get together with denominational leaders. And then they'll call an ordination council. And they'll ask him questions. Brother Grady, I never will forget one of the questions they asked me. There's always one. No matter where you go, there's always one. Someone asked me to define the Trinity. And I, my mouth dropped open. And there was another gracious pastor over there. And, uh, and he says, well, brother, can you define the Trinity? Can, can anyone ever define the Trinity? I mean, we know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but can you explain it yourself? And so we, we went on from there. But needless to say, it's, it's recognized. It's not just something someone chooses to do. It's recognized by the people of God. The pastoral role is a blessed calling, but it absolutely requires a calling from God. It's not something we choose to do. It chooses us. Amen? And so we need to have a calling in our lives if we fulfill this role. Number two, the biblical pastor has a qualified role. There are expectations that God has on any leader of the church, on any leader of the church, but especially the pastor and deacons, and we'll look at the deacon position next week. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, we see four different types of qualifications. Number one, he's qualified in his behavior in verses 2 and 3. Notice he says he must be blameless, of, of good character. The husband of one wife, that he is a faithful husband, that he is faithful to his wife. He's not someone running around on his wife. You don't want that as a leader of the church, amen? And there are several people across the nation that are doing just that. Heaven help us that God gives us leaders who are faithful to their spouses, amen? Well, that, that's a requirement, uh, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, not, not an alcoholic, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not one who is quarrelsome, not one who is covetous. We see that there are certain moral expectations upon a leader. And beloved, we can try to bypass this, but don't think we're ever going to fool God with this. Amen? Because there, God places a higher calling on us. And God has moral expectations for us if we serve in roles of leadership. 
Otherwise, again, understand, God doesn't call us to be Sunday Christians. He calls us to be everyday Christians. Because if He has done a work in our lives, understand that we represent Him in everything we do and everything we say, especially when we serve in leadership. We're also, we're also qualified by the family. Uh, Paul noted the pastoral candidate is to be a faithful husband, but it doesn't end there. The first ministry every minister has is to his family. and Because it's, it's, it's a prerequisite, really. If you don't place your family first, beloved, you can't serve the church of God. That's what Paul says. Look what he says here. He says, uh, those who don't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Well, simply put, he can't. Amen? He must put his family first. May God help us to build strong families. May God help us to build and strengthen strong our families so that we can be a ready testimony. You know, Brother Grady, I was thinking about this just the other day too. Grandpa was a pastor for what, 50 years or more? 45, 45 years he was a pastor. And, and he pastored and ministered to many great people. But it didn't even dawn on me until I was preparing this message. Who do you think was there when he died? Think about this. I want you to think about it very seriously. You know, we put so much emphasis on so many things. We put so much emphasis on being seen and on being heard. We put so much emphasis in people thinking good of us. But I tell you, the people who were there at his bedside, it was his family. Amen? It was his daughter. It was his son. It was his grandchildren. It was his family. So understand the number one calling God has given you in your life is to be a mother, to be a father. And if we are not fulfilling that obligation, then we are not qualified to serve the church. Amen? I didn't make that up. That's, that's not the gospel according to Brian Chilton. That is a biblical precept we find in God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we must be family people. Amen? Heaven help us if we seek to gain the whole world and we lose our own families in the process. May God help us build strong families. We also must be qualified in our walk. Meaning that we must be spiritually mature individuals. Not someone who's a new convert. Not someone who just has become a Christian. Otherwise they might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Wow, that is a statement. But Paul made it. The pastor must have a strong relationship with the Lord. And there are many who will try to enter the ministry who do not have the call. But Brother Grady, I heard someone say not long ago, it was a, it was a person of another denomination, that they entered the ministry because they thought this would be an easy life. <laughs> it's not an easy life, I'm going to tell you, because you have so many things coming at you and you have the devil fighting you all the while. But understand, you must have a calling of God. You must have a strong relationship with the Lord to do this task. And also we see we must be qualified by the contact. Paul states they must have a good reputation with not only the people in the church, but they must have a good reputation with people outside the church. How are we going to minister to people outside the church if we can't get along with anybody? <laughs> Amen? How are, we going to get along? How are we going to minister and witness to folks outside the church and try to evangelize if everybody hates us? <laughs> 
I'm not talking about the message for which we stand. I'm talking about the, the, uh, the tactics that we use. I'm talking about uh, the way we act in, in, in our conduct, in our contacts. We also see that the biblical pastor has a teaching role as well. We see this in 1 Timothy 3, 2, uh, that, that there's a calling upon, or 3, 1, excuse me, that there's a calling upon this person to teach. We see that they must be able to teach. We see in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, the apostles said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word and to wait on tables, and that is why the deacon position was placed as it was in Acts chapter 6. In the second letter to Timothy, Paul states that this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. He goes on to tell Timothy that when he comes to bring the cloak that he left in Troas and Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments, Paul was a man devoted and dedicated to learning about the Word of God so that he could teach and he could preach the Word faithfully. And that's what we need to do. That's what pastors need to do. They need to be individuals willing to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God, not just the popular parts, but also the unpopular parts as well. Amen? must teach the whole counsel of God from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And understand, beloved, it is more important today than ever before. Last Wednesday night after our Bible study, I interviewed an individual from Loveland, Colorado, Michael Bowman, my podcast. For my podcast, it'll be airing this Monday. This individual, Michael Bowman, was a former witch. He was actually into witchcraft uh, for several different years, for several many years. And God, by His grace, saved Michael Bohm. And now he's warning individuals about uh, the, the practices of witchcraft. But one thing he said to me Wednesday night that absolutely amazed me, he says that it is a regular practice, because he himself had witnessed this firsthand, that there are individuals from these witchcraft movements, from these covens, that will actually come into churches and, and, and come into church with one particular point in mind to cause disorder, to cause disruption, to break up the church of Christ. There are individuals who simply want to come to church to tear up what God is doing. May God have mercy. Amen? That's why we must, we must stay faithful to the Word of God. That's why we must know what the Word of God says, and we must be faithful to teach and preach the Word of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Last but certainly not least, the biblical pastor has a shepherding role. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, that he says that we are to shepherd, to be, it's because we're under the chief shepherd. We're to, the people to submit to the elders, and we see that they, uh, the, the elders are to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When I was at Gardner-Webb, I was told four ways that don't work <laughs> as far as a pastoral role. They said uh, one such way is what they call the general pattern. Uh, individuals who try to lord it over the congregations, who try to dictate everything, and that's not the best possible way because we are to lead by example. We are to lead by love. There's also the, what's called the doubting Thomas, the individual who thinks everyone's out to get them. They see ghosts behind every rock. Obviously, that's not a good way to be either. There is the monk who, uh, who, who, that no one ever sees him at any point in time. And there's also what's called the showboat. 
someone who puts on a good show. In fact, I, I heard a, a, a person tell me one time before that they saw this preacher. He was really into it. He was running back and forth across the stage and even jumped over the piano. I asked the guy, I said, what was the title of his message? What was his message about? He said, I couldn't tell you two things that he said. I just remember all the theatrics that he used uh, in, the, in the process. We need individuals who are faithful to the Word of God. We don't need individuals who are bullies or who are power hungry. We need individuals who are faithfully serving the Lord, faithfully serving the positions that God has appointed to them. Why is this so important? Well, one, I would say to you, because if we're going to be a church, the Holy Spirit must bless us. Amen? Otherwise, we become a community club with a cross on top, and I'm going to tell you, that's not going to save souls. That's not going to win people to the Lord. That's not going to make a transformation in anyone's heart or in anyone's mind. God has to be in this or we're doing this all in vain. And heaven help us if we're doing it in vain. We need to be faithful, faithfully committed to the Lord. But we also need to do this because we need to train and build up faithful ministers for the next generation. This next statistic is really troubling for me. And that's why I mentioned I appreciate guys like my grandpa and Grady and many others who've been in the ministry for as long as they have because this next statistic is absolutely mind-boggling. The statistic shows that of all pastors entering the ministry in their 20s, only 10% will retire as pastors. Only 10%. Sometimes there are moral failings, absolutely. But others are, are, are eaten up by what's called preacher-eater churches. <laughs> May we never be that. It, churches that are out there that just seek to go through church through pastors left and right, who on, they're only tenures, maybe a year or two at best, if even that long. Beloved, we need to come together and we need to get a biblical perspective about what this church is all about. Amen? For us to be successful in what we're doing, we, we can't sit on the sidelines. We've got to get in the game and we have to understand not what we think, but what God says. That's the most important thing. And beloved, if we're going to be a church that God uses, that God grows, that God uses to be a force in this community, then we need to uphold the infallible and errant word of God and be found in his precepts and his principles. And if we do that, beloved, we'll be on the right track. And no matter if we have 20 or we have 2,000, we will be used to bless God. We'll be used to praise God. We'll be used to minister to this community and many others with the banner of the cross before us. Beloved, I hope, I hope and pray that we do just that. Because I believe that God has some great things in store for this church. And may we be a community, a church that God uses to minister to this community, to bless this community for many, many years down the road. With every head bowed and every eye closed. As I mentioned before, it's so important that we as a church get this right. It's so important that we as a church understand what is required of us and that we are about the task that is before us. Otherwise, we become just a community club, and that's not what God's called us to be. He didn't call us to be a club. He called us to be the church. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, may I encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. But I also give this invitation because maybe there's someone here today that God may be leading into some type of ministry like this. 
And I want to give the open invitation that if you're here today, and maybe you just want me to simply pray for you about maybe what God is leading you to do in your life. Maybe there's someone here today who feels that calling upon their life. We encourage you to be open and responsive to the Holy Spirit's call as well. Maybe you're here today and maybe you'd like to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. We encourage you to do that as well. We kind of gracious Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the roles that you've given us in the church. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you because this is not, this is not, an oblig- this is not uh, something that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, is, that we have to do or something that we have to have. It's something that you've granted unto us. It's a b- great blessing that you have bestowed upon us. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the pastoral role. We thank you, Lord, for all the pastors out there. We ask, Lord, that you build up a strong new generation of pastors coming forth, fervently preaching your word, faithfully living out the precepts given in your word. We ask, Lord, also that you build strong families. Help us to be a testimony to the world. Help us to be a testimony about what a family is supposed to look like. Lord, I thank you, Lord, so much for your love and your grace. I thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you the way you give us, the way the opportunity, in the opportunities that you give us to do. So, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Have your will and your way in this time of invitation. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? Number 285, where he leads, I'll go. 
service at this time. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. (laughs) 